comes now December into the court of our current existence. What shall the tenor of this month be? Does this depend on the player and their ability to read and interpret the script? Every single episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement is written down to serve as a way to communicate items of importance. I'm Sean Tubbs, producing these informational programs to describe as much of the stage as possible. On today's program, one person is dead after an early morning fire on Penn Park Lane today. Charlottesville opens up applications for nonprofits to provide supportive services related to housing. Republican Delegate Marie March of Christiansburg submits several bills to undo legislation passed in 2020 when the General Assembly was controlled by Democrats, and the Albemarle Planning Commission recommends denial of a rezoning for 525 units on Old Ivy Road, in part because a lack of information about transportation solutions that are not yet ready for the public to see. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, want to learn how to help your unhoused neighbors find affordable permanent housing? Livable Seaville is hosting a webinar, Homelessness in Charlottesville, From Stigma to Solutions. That's on Wednesday, December 14th at 5.30 p.m. Learn from experts from the Haven and the Blue Ridge Area Coalition for the Homeless about housing, homelessness, and policy recommendations to address homelessness in Charlottesville. Registration information is available at livableseaville.org. An early morning fire in Albemarle County's Urban Ring killed one person after midnight today. The Albemarle County Fire Rescue Service announced that both career and volunteer units responded to a structure fire report on Penn Park Lane. According to a press release, the first emergency vehicle responded on the scene seven minutes after dispatch and observed the fire through the roof of the residence. Crews from the city of Charlottesville also responded to the blaze. Unfortunately, the occupant of the home was found dead. The name has not been released and the fire marshal is investigating. The release ends with a reminder to check to see if your smoke alarms are working. you learn more at albemarle.org slash safe at home. A housing plan adopted by the Charlottesville City Council in March of 2021 called for a shift in the way the city funds programs to build, preserve, and maintain units that are guaranteed to be sold or rented below the market value. Here's a section from an application for nonprofit groups seeking funding for housing operations and program support. The Affordable Housing Plan recommends that the city make a strong and recurring financial commitment to address housing needs in Charlottesville in order to 1. Increase the number of subsidized affordable homes by 1,100 homes on top of an existing 1,630 actively subsidized homes. 2. Preserve 600 existing subsidized affordable homes. And 3. Stabilize 1,800 to 2,200 owner and renter households facing housing instability. In mid-October, the city's Office of Community Solutions announced future funds would be available through four separate pools. One of them is $575,000 that's made available to nonprofit organizations under the Housing Operations and Program Support category. This used to be under the city's Vibrant Communities Fund. 
Here's a section from the application. This competitive application process is open to not-for-profit organizations that engage in affordable housing-related activities that may be requesting operational or program-type funding. Organizations must have substantial presence in the city of Charlottesville and engage in affordable housing activities within the city limits. Funding will not be guaranteed. Examples of groups that are funded through this process range from the Abamar Housing Improvement Program to Shelter for Help in Emergency. Applications are due on December 30th, 2022. In early November, the city issued a notice of funding for major construction projects, similar to the ones currently under construction at Friendship Court and South First Street. Applications for those projects were due on November 30th at 4 p.m., more on who applied in future installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement. There are now 40 days until the beginning of the 2023 General Assembly, and the flow of pre-filed legislation continues. Today, mostly comes from one delegate. Delegate Marie March has filed a bill to allow anyone to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. That's HB 1393. March has another bill in HB 1394 that would repeal the provision that allows a judge to approve the removal of someone's weapons if they are deemed to be a risk to others. Another bill in HB 1398 would prohibit a private property owner from prohibiting others from carrying concealed weapons on their premises or vehicle. Human rights would begin at conception under another of March's bills, HB 1395. Another bill from March would create the Education Savings Account Program, which would allow parents and guardians who don't enroll their children in public schools to have the government pay for their education anyway. That's HB 1396. March also has legislation in HB 1397 that would allow parents to opt out of all immunizations required to attend school. March also seeks repeal of the Community Policing Act and its provision that prohibits law enforcement officers from making decisions based on race and would stop the requirement that police departments and sheriff's offices record racial data on motor vehicle stops and other interactions with law enforcement. Another bill from March would change the way vehicles are assessed by altering the calculation method for personal property taxes. Some of Virginia's colleges and universities would be required to provide housing at no cost to certain students when classes aren't in session. HB 1403 is from Delegate Ann Farrell Tata. Switching to the Senate, Senator Ryan T. McDougal has filed a bill to require a photograph to be presented as identification before someone votes. And finally today, Senator Emmett Hanger has filed a bill to continue a requirement that 50 cents for each head of cattle that is assessed go to the Cattle Industry Board. More General Assembly information coming up in the next installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Hey, what are you listening to? It's Charlottesville Community Engagement. It's time for the second Patreon-fueled shout-out for today. Since the very beginning of this newsletter, one Patreon supporter who has been here since the beginning in July of 2020 has used his shout-out to draw your attention to the work of the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign. 
The campaign is a coalition of grassroots partners, including motivated citizens and volunteers, partner organizations, and local governments who want to promote the use of native plants. We are now at the beginning of winter, and if you're already looking forward to the spring, this is the time to learn about what you need to plan to attract pollinators who keep native species going. To learn more, visit plantvirginianatives.org to download Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. One big long story for the rest of the program today. The Albemarle County Planning Commission has recommended that the Board of Supervisors deny a rezoning for the development of a rental housing complex with 525 units on Old Ivy Road after several members said they did not have enough information about details about transportation improvements that are being planned but not yet ready for the public to see. The motion to deny came after most members said they supported the project otherwise. Here's Commissioner Julian Bivens. Hopefully the super, our supervisors will have seen that we wrestled hard with this. Yes, and that, that we like the development. We like the development, but we also are trying to sort of figure out a way how to get the various infrastructure in place. This is the second time that the Planning Commission has seen this proposal. The first was in June when the developer asked for a deferral about a long conversation about transportation impacts. The planner working for Albemarle County is Cameron Langeel. He described the location of the five properties that make up the project. To the west is the Route 250 and Route 29 bypass. To the south is Old Ivy Road. To the north is some land that's actually owned by UVA, which borders Leonard Sandridge Road. To the east, there are some existing residential developments, and that includes University Village and Huntington Village. The Darden School of Business and the School of Law are both to the northeast of the site. Some sections of the properties are designated as urban density residential in the future land use map, and others are designated as parks and green systems. Basically, they want to rezone all these parcels to R15 so that a total of 525 dwelling units could be built on site. The development would be a mix of different types of housing, from townhouses to apartment complexes. Graystar is proposing to guarantee 15% of the total units will be rented to households with incomes below 80% of the area median income, a change since the first proposal. This would last for a period of 10 years. Valerie Long is an attorney with the firm Williams Mullen. They're representing Graystar. That's the county policy now, 80% AMI for 10 years. Long said she is aware the county is working on the details of a new policy to require longer terms at deeper levels of affordability. As for transportation, Graystar has proposed a transit stop on Old Ivy Road, new turn lanes into the development, a multi-use path along Old Ivy Road, and they've agreed to pay a portion of infrastructure improvements off-site up to $750,000. The area already has issues, according to a traffic study conducted for the rezoning. Kevin McDermott is a planning manager for Albemarle who specializes in transportation. The existing conditions that were identified showed that there are failing movements during the morning and afternoon peak hours. Uh, there's also a, a lack of pedestrian and bicycle connectivity in the corridor. 
One of the requests in the rezoning is to have a proffer associated with the 1985 rezoning waived. At that time, the landowners agreed to restrict further development until the county was satisfied that enough transportation infrastructure was in place. That wasn't specified as to what would meet that criteria. Some sidewalks in the area have been constructed since 1985, but problems still exist, such as the one-lane railroad underpass at the eastern end of Old Ivy Road. McDermott said the Virginia Department of Transportation has reviewed potential solutions and concepts have been shared with the county, the city, and the university. Uh, they are still finalizing that study, um, and it will be made public, publicly available. But based on what we have seen, staff and VDOT believe that there are immediately implementable solutions to address those poor operational issues at the western end of the corridor. McDermott added VDOT has identified funding for those projects as well. However, he said there are no immediate solutions to address the underpass. But we are still digging into some options over there for a way to get pedestrians under that railroad. Overall, staff changed their recommendation to one of approval. John Clarkson with Graystar Development represented the company and said the new application reflects previous concerns about affordable housing and transportation that were made in June. We want to be good neighbors and participants within the community. And we feel like we've made a lot of changes working with staff to meet those requests that you all made for, for, for us uh, at that meeting. Long said the amount of funding for transportation has also been increased since the summer. We increased the cash proffer for transportation. It's a total of $1,250,000. One point of clarification is we drafted the proffer to be very flexible. Before we get to the public hearing, it's important to note that the University of Virginia has long-term plans to develop Ivy Gardens, a 20th century apartment complex that will be replaced with more housing and non-residential space. However, there's currently no timetable for when that might happen. Several dozen people spoke at the public hearing, mostly in opposition. One resident of University Village, an apartment complex right next door, said the transportation impacts would still be too much. Here's Bill Sherman. You, you'll know that it takes a no vote on your part to nudge Graystar toward making some improvements in their project. And here's Elizabeth Vinton, a retired pediatrician who now lives at University Village. I am not against development, be it student or private housing, but I do oppose any consideration that would increase the traffic on Old Ivy and put everyone, especially our pedestrians, at greater risk. Another University Village resident, Lyle Hallowell, said he was concerned that some of the information about transportation, including a new traffic study, had not been made available to the public before the meeting. One thing I've heard that there was new data collected. I'm happy to hear that because I'm a bit of a data person. I'm a little sad that it wasn't widely shared or it wasn't widely shared with everybody. So we learned a lot about who counts, who doesn't tonight. Hallowell also said he would have liked to have known more about why staff felt comfortable switching their recommendation based on information not yet available to the public. He said residents already on Old Ivy Road should also be considered stakeholders. We heard that there are good plans here, and in those good plans, shared with the stakeholders that there's great promise for this road. Shared with the stakeholders. In New York, where I came from two years ago, we say, what am I, chopped liver? Not all of the public comment was against the project. 
Will Sanford lives in the Rivanna district. This property contains one of the longest privately owned segments of the Rivanna Trail connecting Leonard Sandridge to Old Ivy. I'd like to thank the current owner for letting the public use this trail on the property for more than 20 years. Graystar has been proactive in reaching out to the Rivanna Trail Foundation in the Charlottesville Area Mountain Bike Club. And after working with board members of both organizations, Graystar has illustrated the approximate location of the trail on their concept plan is willing to proffer a permanent solution for the trail as part of their site plan. Other speakers supported the project because they said it would bring new housing options to the area that needs them. One of them is Ivo Romanesco, who served in the early 2000s on an Albemarle County committee that recommended the creation of the neighborhood model district in zoning. Predictability of land use was critical to approval of neighborhood model principles over 20 years ago. That was for neighbors and for landowners. Today, urban areas are responding to density change, but not fast enough for the population growth. Romanesco said Old Ivy Residences satisfies the comprehensive plan by putting new homes exactly where they have been recommended. He reminded the Planning Commission that the reason it's not been developed yet is because VDOT planned for Western Bypass to use some of the land for an intersection for the Western Bypass for years. He reminded the Planning Commission that the reason it's not been developed is because VDOT planned to use some of the land for the intersection of the Western Bypass and US-29. In her rebuttal after the public comment, Valerie Long acknowledged the project would impact a congested road, but said Graystar would be part of the eventual solution by providing a multi-use path and other infrastructure. Denying this application or preventing it from being developed will not solve those safety problems or those congestion issues. Long added that this project has jump-started a look at the existing issues. Once we submitted our application, People started looking at it. VDOT hired a consultant. They continued to look at it. There have been lots of discussions with the university and VDOT and Mr. McDermott and others about how to address it. The university is highly interested in addressing the pedestrian issues under the bridge for all the same reasons everyone else is. Then it was time for the commissioners to weigh in. Lonnie Murray went first. I do feel very uncomfortable that we've, we heard that there are proposed traffic solutions but we don't know what they are. And so we can't really evaluate whether they, would, whether they would be effective or not because we don't have them in front of us. Commission Chair Karen Firehawk agreed with the sentiment. But I have to weigh the evidence that I have before me in terms of whether solutions are viable. And I don't have enough detail on what it is that VDOT has proposed or is thinking of. Commissioner Corey Claiborne said he could support the project. He said a buy-right project would also impact transportation, but that would not come with anything from the developer to address issues. He said he trusted staff if they say there is a solution. Commissioner Julian Bivens said he had to honor the condition from the 1985 rezoning that limits development. The supervisors put a condition precedent on development there. Whether or not I like it or don't like it, they did it. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who get elected. We get appointed. Bivens also said the University of Virginia needed to step up to be part of the solution to fix the railroad underpass. Commissioner Luis Carrizana also said it was difficult to have a position if the infrastructure would be sufficient, but he said much had improved since June. 
there has been several areas that has improved. Um, however, we don't have the infrastructure. Maybe it's in the way. Maybe the plans are there. And, you know, if this goes to the Board of Supervisors, then they can evaluate if they believe that it's it's substantial enough. Carrizana also urged neighbors to come to the table to do their part to create a safer transportation network. If everyone keeps trying to work together, we can actually make this happen. Valerie Long was offered one more opportunity to answer questions, most of them about transportation. She said she hoped the commission would take McDermott at his word that the VDOT study shows solutions that will address issues on the western end. I think we need to trust our experts. Long also said the Timmins Group has produced documents that have been shared with the university about ways to address the eastern end of Old Ivy Road. The, the biggest problem with that bridge, obviously the drainage is a significant issue that needs to be fixed, but it's the, ali- it's the alignment of the road under the bridge. It doesn't go perpendicular under the bridge. It comes at it at an angle. After that, Bivens made a motion to deny the rezoning. The vote was 5-2, to two, with Commissioners Claiborne and Fred Missile voting no. However, they did vote unanimously to recommend approval of changing the classification of steep slopes from preserved to managed. The VDOT study may be available for the public by the time the project gets to the Board of Supervisors. Here's Karen Firehawk to close out this story. They may hopefully be in possession of the VDOT study by that time or perhaps can receive additional clarification, and perhaps even miraculously UVA could come forward and be more communicative about their willingness to engage in in helping make some of these connections. And you've reached the end of another episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement, another end of the week. There's still so much I didn't get to, but the next regular installment won't come out until Monday. However, there will be an installment of The Week Ahead that comes out on Sunday, as well as another installment of 5th District Community Engagement. I have increased 5th District Community Engagement's frequency, and I'm slowly going through each locality to find out what elections are coming up at local bodies. Currently, my time to do this is covered by those paying me through Patreon. And I'd love you to subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. That's on the Patreon, people. I also appreciate those subscribing through Substack. And I'm just about to invoice Ting for our arrangement where Ting matches the initial payment for every new Substack subscriber. That could be for $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. That latter category comes with two shoutouts a month. And even if you don't subscribe, Ting still wants to be your internet provider. If you sign up through a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you will unlock a second month for free, free installation, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. This Friday is Bandcamp Friday. Consider buying a copy of Vraki's Regret Everything. Much of the music in the podcast comes from Vraki. The original theme is by PJ Sykes, and other things come from the fundamental Greg. Any questions? Uh, drop me a line, and thank you for reading and or listening. And did you notice that I just cribbed that bit from the last installment of the show? Oh my gosh, please don't turn me into the podcast authorities. 